You're listening to the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. Hello, fellow fantasy football fanatics. Welcome to the week nine episode of the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. We're going to start with just pouring one out for one of our favorite players, one of the country's favorite players in George Kittle. Football is exponentially more fun when he's on the field. And, you know, if 2020's taught us anything, it's we can't have nice things. No Dak, no Kittle, no Saquon. Um, but but this one hurts, especially with a uh, with the tight end landscape that has just proven so arid, so barren, which we'll talk about more later in the episode. Uh, gentlemen, any any words in the 2020 eulogy for George Kittle? Yeah, there's no doubt that football at Sundays are way more fun with Kittle on the field. Um, arguably one of the best offensive players in the league as a blocker and a receiver. And we just want to send our well wishes and hope that he comes back healthy and ready to go. I'm speechless. Dalton, anything for our yeah, speechless. Speechless. It's um, it's brutal. It's brutal. I was I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't expecting on Monday to be just completely destroyed by this terrible news. And um, football's definitely. Um, you're telling me I have to watch a Thursday night football game with the San Francisco Niners, and they don't have George Kittle on the field. That's unbelievable. I have to do that for the whole season. Um, yeah. it's going to be tough. Um, but. The good, the good news is is this is 2020, and hopefully 2021 can't take these players away from us. Knock on wood. No, I, th- um, I think we're a little bit ground down from all the other injuries, and this one kind of just put us over the edge. So, yeah. you know, that, that really sucks. But if, like us, you had Kittle in some of your fantasy leagues, um, we are going to discuss some options on how to replace him later. Uh, let's start with the waiver wire then we'll go into the tight end landscape and then we'll end on checking in yet again with the rookie running backs we got some good stuff with expected points there um speaking of running backs there's plenty to talk about on the waiver wire this week um and not necessarily because of injuries uh well the first one we'll talk about is a covid close contact case of course jamal williams um Aaron Jones, according to Interapports, there's some pessimism he'll play with the ultra-cautious Green Bay medical staff. So no Jamal Williams, no Aaron Jones. So we are, and of course, to bring in a free agent, it can't happen in five days because of the COVID protocols. So we are left with Tyler Irvin and Dexter Williams on one of the league's best offenses. Uh, Break this down for us, Mike. How does each player profile into the Green Bay offense and where do they excel? So Dexter Williams is a decent athlete. He's a 212 pound, more of like a hammer, a rusher. And Irvin is more of a satellite back who's more of a receiver. He's actually played a lot of receiver for the Packers this year. He's been active in most, if not all games. Dexter Williams has not been active. So for me, I am betting on Irvin. He's the guy who's been involved already. I think he also has more upside as a receiver. Um, I think Williams will have his value in a situation where the Packers are up and looking to clock kill, but I think in a neutral or if they're behind type of game script, it's going to benefit Irvin as a good pass catcher and a guy who's been on the field and can be trusted in those situations. And he's been used, you know, way back with the Houston Texans. He's been in the league for a while and, um, 
Adam Levitan uh, established the run noted recently that Irvin has played 108 snaps this year. 104 of them have been at wide receiver. We could be seeing a bit of a Ty Montgomery situation um, a la a few years ago when he switched from receiver to running back when they had a need there and performed pretty well. Maybe we can't expect the same from Tyler Irvin, but I remember Dexter Williams being kind of a hammer at Notre Dame and Irvin will never be that guy. So if you had to bet on one for this week, we're assuming Jamal Williams passes the protocol after this week. We're assuming Aaron Jones uh, will be back as well soon. So just if you're in a week nine bind in a PPR league, are you going to Irvin for the pass catching upside? Yeah, I am. I think it's a lot easier to score fantasy points when you're catching passes. And I think that he's probably more trusted in terms of being on the active game day roster and getting snaps up to this point. So I'm taking the guy who we kind of have a little bit more um, involvement for him on the field. And he's a good pass catcher. If there is a situation where the Packers fall behind, he could be catching a lot of dump off passes. So I I think it's going to be easier for him to score than Williams. I think Williams, you're relying on rushing upside, which I'm a little bit concerned about. Maybe he's able to fall into the end zone. But um, I think that we can assume in a PPR league where you're getting a point per reception, my projection for Irvin would be higher. Yeah, and you know, we're the thing you're kind of looking at with Dexter Williams is just falling into the end zone. San Francisco, even despite their defensive line injury, has been really stingy to opposing running backs in terms of fantasy points allowed. But, you know, no Kittle, no Garoppolo, which actually might be a plus, no Debo Samuel. Um, this might not be a time, a game where the Packers need to uh, pass a ton to win. I mean, if anything, this is just good news. Devonta Adams is going to see. I, I don't know if the number, this, the, the the limit exists for how many targets he'll see on Thursday night. Um, but I, I think I'm with you when it comes to Tyler Urban and uh, Dexter Williams. Dalton, any opinion there? Um, I do think that in terms of just um, upside, and I think someone who can have the bigger game, I think is Dexter Williams. But I think the safer floors with Urban. I, um, ideally, they're probably just more like flex plays than anything, because if we look at Irvin, I don't know if he necessarily has the upside as a rusher to see enough work to be like that workhorse kind of guy. He's had four carries this year um, against 10 targets, so it's clear that Dexter Williams is probably going to fall into that role, and he could legitimately see you know 12 to 15 carries. But I think that at the end of the day, it's going to be more of a game script um, or game planning towards just Aaron Rodgers just airing the rock out as much as possible. Um, and I think that's what we're going to see more than anything this game. Yeah. So uh, ceiling and floor plays, probably Williams. Maybe he'll have 13 carries for 55 yards and two touchdowns. But Irvin, you're hoping for five catches, get your 11 PPR points and, you know, uh, and uh, get your RB2 or flex out of the way on a, a week with a bunch of buys. Why don't we move on to another situation that, you know, we might have to backtrack from our previous excitement about Jonathan Taylor. Um, he doesn't look like the same player he was in college, and it looks like the coaching st- and he might be hurt. It looks like the coaching staff has finally, you know, run out of patience for him in terms of ensuring he's the lead back. Because Jordan Wilkins, who's available on a lot of waiver wires, looked really good. Is he your favorite running back ad this week, Mike? I think Irvin for people who need somebody to play this week, because I think that 
you're entering a difficult situation with Wilkins where you're not going to be able to predict things. It's not like Jonathan Taylor has a sprained ankle and he's going to miss some time and we know that he's going to be on the field. He's going to be splitting with Hines and Taylor. And I think it's going to be a difficult situation to rely on production and know when to start Wilkins unless somebody's further injured. He's not going to get that pass game work that Hines is going to be receiving and he's going to be splitting with Jonathan Taylor on the ground. So I'm not sure that you're going to have any consistency from him or reliability from him. Obviously, the Colts have a lot of incentive to get Taylor going, and when he's healthy, I think they'll continue to put a lot on his plate. Alternatively, I think that it's a really good time in perhaps dynasty leagues. I know the trade deadline in Apex has passed, but if you can send out some offers and low ball for Taylor, I still think he's an immensely talented player. I think that he's having trouble reading holes at the NFL level. Maybe he's banged up. He's not getting the touches he's used to receiving. There's a lot of factors that go into it, but I'm still a big believer in his talent. And it's very uh, rare that you see a talent, uh, a prospect with this sort of physical ability, production, and he really seemed like a can't-miss player. And now we're finally getting an opportunity to potentially buy low on him. And I think you would be foolish to not take advantage of that, especially if the price is really low. I don't even know if his owners who spent a 101 dynasty pick would be willing to trade him now. But if anybody is dangling him, this may be your last opportunity to get him at a good price. Dalton, what do you think about that? I love it. I love it. Um, I think that there's just a little bit of an overreaction right now to Jonathan Taylor. We still have to understand within the context of his career and what he is as a player right now. He's a 21-year-old rookie who has played seven career games, and I'm seeing some people that are having concerns about them. And I think that some of these concerns are legitimate about him not looking the same as he was in college. But at the end of the day, like, he he's seven games into his career so we do have to understand there's a a big learning curve into the nfl and that he's only going to continue to grow like this like you mentioned he's a can't miss prospect for him to fail and for him to not be at least somewhat close to the player that we saw at wisconsin would just be mind-boggling um for him not to do that and he had potentially an ankle injury in which um saw him see less of the snaps and we compare him to what he's against a guy like jordan wilkins this year he's still been more efficient. It's not like Jordan Wilkins has played better over the course of the season. He just had a better game than Jonathan Taylor. So it's not necessarily Jonathan Taylor's playing worse than him. It's the fact that um, he just had a worse game. And I think that that is an overreaction there to where we can potentially say, hey, look, Jonathan Taylor is this guy that we want for the rest of the season here. It may take him an extra week or two to get back up to where we saw him because Jordan Wilkins did play well. But again, I am not concerned really in the slightest about Jonathan Taylor as a player. And I think that over the course of the season, we're still going to see the Jonathan Taylor that we hope to see earlier. Yeah, I mean, there's there's two there's two things at play. One is the recency bias for fantasy owners is definitely something that you can take advantage of. People worry so much week to week where after week one, he was unacquirable. You couldn't get Jonathan Taylor. And then after a week like this, uh, people are convinced that his career will be a failure. So there's a lot to take advantage of there. And if you need a little bit more evidence to go out and try and acquire a Jonathan Taylor, there is a lot of research to suggest that players who are drafted higher uh, will receive more opportunity before they're kind of kicked to the curb. Somebody like James Robinson, who doesn't have that draft capital, he is more likely, if he's struggling, 
to not receive the touches sooner than a Jonathan Taylor who his team has incentive to play him and and spent a lot to acquire him. A couple other things just to add on Jonathan Taylor real quick here. Um, in just in context to potentially some positive things that have shown that Jonathan Taylor is actually a good player. Out of all running backs in the NFL, he's currently 11th in expected points added. So in terms of actual real football, he's helping his team out as one of the best running backs in the league. Um, so that's obviously helpful for getting him working there. And as a receiver as well, he's currently third in yards per reception, fifth in yards per route run, and third in catch rate. So he's been actually probably better as a receiver than we had hoped. Um, so those are definitely massive positive signs for Jonathan Taylor. I'm going to have to zig while you guys zag a little bit here, at least for redraft, right? I agree with you about the dynasty thing, but you know, when it comes to recency bias, you know, the snap counts, he hasn't dominated the snap counts for most of the season. Hines has still been involved heavily, at least in terms of being on the field. And now Wilkins is there. I mean, they never really meant for Jonathan Taylor, at least at first to have, they had Marlon Mack, of course, they never met, meant for Taylor to have the lion's share of the work. And we thought maybe as the season progressed, he would get closer to that, but again, the amount of um, the amount of time on the field that Wilkins and uh, Hines have seen, like it might be catching up to Taylor. And I don't know if you can consider him. Uh, you know, th- there were a few weeks ago where we were like he has to be a top five running back right now. I don't know if he's he's probably borderline top ten right now. But you know, this is a guy who his pass catching will probably be a little infrequent because of Hines. Um, although Rivers will still target playing his running backs. We don't know if he has the monopoly on early down uh, as an early down back. I, I think in redraft, at least he's more of a hold. I don't want to sell him. I think you can buy him for the right price, but his price is probably still probably a little bit too high uh, if you're just counting on him for this year. So I don't know. I think he's a high-end RB2 instead of the you know nearly elite running back run that we near, <laughs> sorry, nearly elite RB1 that we thought he was going to be a couple weeks ago. It's just the the workload and snap share isn't there when you have Wilkins and Hines healthy. I think it's fair. I think it's actually totally fair. And if we're considering, I think we went on the podcast and it was right after he had like 26 carries. Right. Um, his first game, he 66% of the snaps, right? And then we look at weeks three through eight and he's seen between, um, well, obviously not including this game, he's seen between, 43% to like 60%. So he still hasn't been that workhorse guy. And he's really maxed out at like, he's at 13, 17, 12, 12, 11 carries. And he's had like, you know, you know, one to like four targets sprinkled in there. So he still hasn't seen that workload, which is also indicative of him being a rookie and he still grow into that. But I think it's just been showing the past few weeks that we just saw a bad performance out of the actual workload that we have been seeing for the past few weeks, which is why we're potentially seeing some of the reaction there. But um, this has been um, a trend for the past few weeks, and it's just something that maybe we just temper our expectations right now, but still be right. um, optimistic long term. Yeah, I, th- I think you should be you know weekly more in the RB ten to fifteen range rather than the RB three to seven range. Um, but you know, I, would I be surprised if I was wrong about that? Not at all. Like I'm also I'm obviously a big believer in Jonathan Taylor. Um, so Wilkins could be a speculative ad if you are in need of running back help. Of course, in this landscape, I think everyone needs running back help. Why don't we move on to LA? Um, we had some really high hopes for Josh Kelly after the first couple weeks of the season. It doesn't look like uh that's happening in fact troy main pope uh thought he was just a special teamer for years and years um now 
seems like he's cutting into Kelly's workload. Um, Justin Jackson seems like the 1A there for sure. Uh, Mike, how are you playing the uh, Truman Pope and Joshua Kelly situation if you have Joshua Kelly on your teams? Yeah, so there's very little about this Troyman Pope. He was mainly a special teamer. I believe he's 26 years old and doesn't have much production to his name. So I do still think that there's incentive for the Chargers to play him, but to play uh, Joshua Kelly uh, as they invested, I believe, a fourth-round pick in him. Joshua Kelly's a good athlete. The problem is Pope looked like the most natural pass catcher out of this group. And Justin Jackson played 47% of the snaps, Pope played 29%, and Joshua Kelly played 24%. We know that Austin Eckler is expected to return. I think Justin Jackson is the one that this coaching staff trusts the most at this point in time. Obviously, fantasy owners know that. But I think that if it swings back, it will probably be Kelly who's the guy. The problem is... We know that Eckler is going to return, and if we're not going to get usable uh, fantasy weeks out of Joshua Kelly right now, I'm not sure how necessary it is to hold him. It's a bit concerning that Justin Jackson looks better than him, and Kelly looks to be this kind of early down rusher. Um, maybe even plotter at this point. He doesn't look that explosive. He doesn't look like a natural pass catcher. The coaching staff seems to prefer to play him on kind of clock-killing carries, but they prefer Justin Jackson in those situations. So what are we holding him for? I'd love to say that this guy has a ton of upside. I like Kelly. I just am not seeing the production on the field to think that he's a must-hold or that there's any serious, consistent fantasy production in his future. I have a question, so you- have a question for you guys. Yeah. Um, I, so I think like Justin Jackson has come in and kind of taken over the Austin Eckler type role. Good, good call so, by you, by the way, Dalton. A couple weeks ago, you were right on that. That's my boy. I appreciate that. Um, and I think that Justin Jackson has shown that he's got the receiving production and he's also gotten the rushing work as well. That kind of fits in the Austin Eckler role. My question for you guys is when Austin Eckler comes back, it seems like Joshua Kelly almost compliments Austin Eckler more, whereas Justin Jackson kind of does all the same things that Austin Eckler does. Do you guys think that it's Joshua Kelly that is seeing the work alongside Eckler in kind of that role that can kind of, you know, be a little different than what Justin Jackson can do? Or do you think Justin Jackson is still going to be the second fiddle when Austin Eckler comes back? I think the coaching staff prefers Justin Jackson, so I would expect to see him on the field. But either way, it's semi-irrelevant to me from the standpoint that I want to look for guys who have starting potential. And if Kelly's upside is when Eckler's healthy, he gets 30% of the work. And if Eckler is not healthy, he gets 30% of the work because of Justin Jackson, then I don't think he's worth a roster spot in leagues like Apex where you only have eight bench spots. Um, Maybe in deeper leagues, it's worth holding, but we want to have guys where there are situations or outcomes that happen, like let's say you could be holding Eno Benjamin instead, and maybe Eno Benjamin receives more work with Drake out, maybe Edmonds gets hurt and you have a situation where Benjamin becomes extremely valuable. I think that there's an issue with holding a player that regardless of who's healthy, it seems that he gets 30% of the work, and when the coaching staff has given him more of an opportunity, he really hasn't impressed. So I think there's a lot of concern about the upside of Kelly at this point in time. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm with Mike in that, 
you know, if you look at Joshua Kelly's game log, um, he has had more than 12 carries once. And that was in, we're basing pretty much our entire prediction on Josh Kelly having upside on week two, where he saw 23 carries for 64 yards. Um, and I, I don't, I, I don't think that the evidence outside of that is really promising. He's had 14 targets all year. Um, besides for he had 60 rushing yards in week one 64 in week two hasn't seen more than 43 other than that hasn't has seen carries of uh eight nine eleven twelve and seven um since then and I think it's clear that Jackson is the superior player right now and I just don't see how Kelly has a role um that when when Eckler gets back and uh, kind of what my my approach to a player like Kelly is this right if you have Joshua Kelly in redraft at least. If you have Joshua Kelly and you are in a bye week crunch and you're looking for a different running back to play, like on the waiver wire other than Josh Kelly, why are you holding him? You know, this is the exact situation where you play him. And if you're looking for a guy on the waiver wire other than Kelly, and you have Kelly on your roster, why are you holding on to him? I I think that's one that, you know, I think that's just gotta be a bye week roster limit casualty at this point. And I, I don't think he's gonna have much rest here about it unless there's just so many more injuries in LA. But again, I yeah. don't think that's predictable information we can count on. Another concerning thing is over the course of seven games, Kelly has forty nine point nine expected rushing points. And he's underperformed that by 17.5. So the average running back would score 49.9 fantasy points. And he's scoring... He's 33% worse yeah. than the average running back. Like and, that's, that's a significant that's, amount. That's worse than all of the other Chargers running backs. He's just above average in receiving. I think he's been fine as a receiver, but the team has given more expected receiving points to Justin Jackson and to Austin Eckler. And it seems that they also prefer Pope in passing situations. So if he's going to win the job as the primary rusher to have fantasy value, he's got to play a lot better than he has up to this point. So I guess the final question is, are you adding Troy Main Pope and, you know, starting him in a bi-week crunch? So I believe he left the game with an injury and I was looking for a Roto World update and it doesn't seem that there has been one. So I'm not exactly sure at this point. Um, I, I would like to see an injury update, assuming he's healthy and you need a running back to play now. I think he's a little bit risky because there is a chance that they come out of the game. They want to play their fourth round rookie again and see what they have in Joshua Kelly. Joshua Kelly plays well and maybe Pope isn't as involved. I think that you'd be better off starting a Tyler Irvin. And I just don't see a lot of upside for this 26-year-old career special teamer um, that is kind of a coach's pet. I see him as like a Malcolm Brown. So he's not necessarily the guy that I'd like to add to my teams, but maybe in a deep league, he is a guy that you can add and get some sort of workload out of. I, I think the thing Pope helps us out most most with is, uh, you know, being able, feeling okay about dropping Joshua Kelly. I mean, the last Roto World blurb about Troy Main Pope is from December 2018. So, <laughs> I mean, I think we can safely say that he probably won't be a, a fantasy, super fantasy relevant player. Um, last waiver wire guy we'll talk about, um, who's not a tight end. We'll get to that in a different segment. Uh, Dar- uh, uh, Darnell, Darnell Mooney. Mooney. Uh, sorry, a bit of a brain fart there. Um, Darnell Mooney, we've talked about him briefly before, but he's getting a little bit harder and harder to ignore. 
um, on an offense that has no one else to really support behind Allen Robinson. Anthony Miller has been in the doghouse. Um, Mike, what, what sort of, I heard you say you're maybe getting some uh, John Brown vibes from him. Yeah, I think that he's a good athlete. He had some college production. Like as a prospect, he looks really interesting. And he has overtaken Anthony Miller in expected points, just 66.2 to 65.6. Both of them are just barely overperforming their workloads. Um, But the coaching staff has moved to playing Mooney more. Um, This week... Mooney played 93% of the snaps while Anthony Miller played 76. I think both of them are interesting players on a team that seemingly isn't very good at moving the ball and needs guys to throw to. And we saw just this past week that both of them had had pretty decent performances. I, I think that Anthony Miller has kind of fallen out of favor with the coaching staff and has been moved to that wide receiver three role while Mooney is nearly an every down player. So I think Mooney is more interesting. Coaching staff likes him. He kind of has similar comparables in the form of Tyler Lockett. Um, and, and that makes him an interesting guy. So I, I don't know that he's going to have a really explosive rest of his season, but if Foles is able to connect on those long balls, he seems to be a really good route runner. He has some speed and he's gotten open deep. So we'll see if Foles is able to convert those and it may actually end up being Trubitsky who <laughs> takes the job back and that probably wouldn't be good for Mooney. But if you need a bi-week filler at wide receiver, there are certainly worse guys. And, you know, another plus for Mooney here. Um, here's his schedule recently, right? They just went against a pretty tough passing defense schedule. The, their last four, two, three, four, last five games have been against Indianapolis, Tampa Bay, Carolina, the Rams, and New Orleans. Here's the remaining schedule. Tennessee, Minnesota, two A-plus matchups, then a bye week. Green Bay, not a great matchup, admittedly, uh, admittedly, but then Detroit, Houston, Minnesota, Jacksonville, right? So we might not have seen the best of this Bears offense, and you know it doesn't have to be really good for Darnell Mooney to be a wide receiver three flex asset to your fantasy team. So um, it might be a good time to buy low on Allen Robinson as well, considering their upcoming schedule just looks really, really good. Dalton, any thoughts about the Bears wide receiver situation? Yeah, I mean, I think I think Mooney's definitely interesting. He's had at least five targets in every game since week three, so he has a decent floor. And as a rookie, you know, there's at least some minimal upside there as well. So, um, I don't I don't know if he's necessarily a guy who's gonna explode over this week, but like during the bye weeks, like he's someone that you can throw in as like your last flex, your last wide receiver. And, you know, he can have, you know, a decent game. We saw him have a 50-yard pass. He got a touchdown this week. So there's opportunities there. And as the season grows, we usually see more opportunity hit for these wide receivers. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with him as a, as a waiver guy. Yeah. So Darnell Mooney, guys, uh, get on him. He could be a, you know, especially when, when more injuries hit, it seems, as is a given this year. Um, he could be a guy that you might not feel terrible about starting in your wide receiver three spot, which is more than a lot of teams can say about the guys in their wide receiver three spot. Why don't we move on to just the absolute fantasy wasteland that is the tight end position in 2020? Um, I read this morning that Travis Kelsey has twice as many fantasy points as the tight end 12. Um, I mean, unless you drafted Travis Kelsey or maybe someone like Darren Waller, you can't be thrilled 
with how the tight ends have performed. I mean, the stat this morning I saw was incredible. Evan Ingram, the tight end three by targets, tight end 16 by fantasy points. Of course, down goes George Kittle, one of the few nice things we have this year. Um, Jordan Reed came back from the dead, caught a couple touchdowns and before, of course, doing the Jordan Reed thing and becoming injured. Um, what what are we to do, Mike, with the tight end position this year? And, you know, we have to bump up some guys like you can't feel bad about starting Hawkinson or Fant or people like that anymore, can you? No, those guys are certainly tight end ones. The issue is if you had a Kittle um, and you need to replace him, it's semi-slim pickings. Interestingly, a lot of injuries have taken place at the same time as um, this wasteland has taken place. And it's resulted in some guys who probably shouldn't be on the waiver wire being on the waiver wire. One of them is Dallas Goddard. He obviously returned last week and may not be on your waiver wire, but he remains for now until Ertz comes back, who also may be an interesting guy to to stash. But Goddard remains their tight end one, their decent passing offense. We know in weeks one and two when he was healthy, I believe he got a combined 17 targets. So he's a guy that could certainly be a mid tight end one, maybe even a high end tight end one if he's actually healthy and able to play. So he's an interesting one. We have Austin Hooper as well, who's kind of with the Odell injury, maybe moved up to being the top target for that team. It doesn't seem that Landry is healthy. We can even assume that Landry is the one, and that would probably leave Hooper as a two. Higgins only got three targets last week. I think Hooper's return after this appendectomy is a really interesting opportunity for owners to grab a guy who has had elite tight end production before and has a lot of opportunity on his team and may actually be on the free agent wire. So that's definitely a guy to check. Eric Ebron may be available because of all these Pittsburgh receivers that are floating around. He's kind of gone unnoticed at times and maybe was dropped in your league. So he's a guy that could be added. There's also a Trey Burton um, that may have been added in your league. He seems to have become the tight end one for the Colts. I like him a little bit less than the guys that I mentioned previously. And then there's Jordan Reed that you discussed who we saw earlier in the season that when Kittle isn't playing, they're going to target Jordan Reed. And it's unclear exactly when he'll return. I believe I saw they expect it around Thanksgiving. So he's a guy to grab and stash. Obviously with all the injuries and bye weeks going on, it's, it's hard to hold a guy like that. But Jordan Reed could end up being a tight end one in this kind of disaster tight end year. You know, any tight end like Hooper, like no, first of all, when we say tight end one, like these aren't guys that, that, you know, unless you have Kelsey or maybe Waller, you're not excited about your tight end spot. But if you can find a guy who can get you five for 50 and get you your 10 points out of your tight end spot, you are probably at worst league average right now. So like when we say a high end tight end one, like if you're the if you're like ranked as the tight end five on the season, <clears throat> you're like a Dallas Goddard, like you said, who could be like a quote unquote elite tight end when it comes to at least the number of people ranked ahead of him. Um, it's uh, I mean tight end is always thin. Although going into this year, I thought it might be a little bit better. You know, you had Hooper going in the later round. Some people really like Johnny Smith, um, who's been bad recently but started off the year really really hot. Fant. Uh, we thought Chris Herndon would be something. Obviously, he got Adam Gaste. Um, and yeah, I, I I just can't believe just how thin it is compared to what we thought at the regular season. Any tips for people in need of tight ends, Dalton? 
Um, yeah, go back in a time machine and draft Travis Kelsey in the first or second round. That's probably the best tip. I mean, if you redraft today, Kelsey has to go in the first round. I think he's, I think you can make the argument top five pick. I think I think yeah. he's that valuable to the team. I mean, after what Kamara, Dalvin, Devonte, he's right. He has to be right there, just in the weekly difference that he makes on your team. Um, yeah. 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 Well, I think yeah. you tweeted this recently, Dalton. The Travis Kelsey owners are going to see a very high win percentage this year. Oh yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, in all seriousness, no, though, like I think like it's obviously if you are a George Kittle owner right now that was a nice edge for you on your team and that just completely wiped off the table so hopefully you had a backup of a sort of like a Noah fan John Smith maybe a Hunter Henry guy but if not like I do think Jordan Reed is 100% viable I think Austin Hooper is actually extremely interesting if he is available on your team um Austin Hooper was seeing, seeing 20% of the targets when he's on the field. He looks to come back after the week. And without Odell Beckham, it's totally possible that he's getting six to seven targets a game and finishing as, you know, a top eight tight end, which, you know, if you can find that on waivers, like that's very valuable. So um, I do think those are a couple of good options to potentially look at right now. Um, I think there's, if you're looking like super deep and you're in a deeper league, I do think someone that necessarily hasn't had the, the targets we're looking for right now, but someone who has performed well in the past before injury and is in one of the best offenses is Will Disley. Over the past couple of weeks, he's seen an uptick in snaps to 58 and 63% of the snaps, which is now over Greg Olson and Jacob Hollister there. So um, he's only had five targets over the last couple of games, but as the season progresses, if his snaps go up, then it's potential that his targets also go up as well. And he's been efficient in his first couple of years of his career. So he looks to be like a good player in um, it's possible that he could be someone viable down the stretch for you. God, here we are recommending Will Disley after a <laughs> patellar tendon and I think an Achilles injury. What has this year come to, ladies and gentlemen? Um, why don't we move on to something that is, I don't know what can be less depre- more depressing, but this is definitely less depressing. Let's do a quick check-in with Mike and expected points on rookie running backs, something we discuss every week because it seems to be ever-changing. You know, we left Cam Akers for dead last week. We don't know what Daryl Henderson's injury status is going into the bye. Um, But, Mike, there's a player who people still aren't high enough on. Who is that? That's J.K. Dobbins, who is averaging 6.7 yards per carry in his short NFL career. He's only averaging 5.7 Uh, rushing attempts per game but there's totally some Miles Sanders vibes from last year here where with Ingram out I mean Dobbins may be the single most talented rookie running back at this point I mean we obviously thought it was Jonathan Taylor but Dobbins is just proving to be untackleable at the NFL level and he's also an above average receiver but let me just break down kind of the top six rookie running backs probably in terms of workload CEH, Antonio Gibson, DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor, and Zach Moss. Out of those running backs, the only one who is underperforming in terms of rushing and receiving is CEH, which is interesting that he's averaging the fewest fantasy points over expectation as a receiver out of that entire group. The only other one that's underperforming as a receiver is J.K. Dobbins, Um, but I think that's probably due to the quality of targets that he's receiving 
from Lamar Jackson. I'm not exactly sure how many of those have been catchable, so I wouldn't pay too much attention to that. The guy who is scoring the most fantasy points over expectation as a receiver, I think Dalton noted earlier in the show, is actually Jonathan Taylor. He's only seeing 2.9 targets per game, but he has 8.6 yards per target as a receiver. So if they can get him more involved as a receiver, um, that's kind of the situation that could take place where we see a breakout from him. I think another guy that a lot of people aren't paying enough attention to, mainly because his breakout just took place last week, is Zach Moss. Zach Moss is actually overperforming expectation as a receiver and as a rusher. Singletary is underperforming both, and I think the team is kind of starting to realize that maybe they have a little bit more upside in Moss. So he's a guy that we could see get going more and more as the year goes on and is really an interesting guy. Um, Swift is also overperforming both, as is Antonio Gibson. I think all of these type of guys should get better as the year goes on. And kind of the the Detroit coaching staff, the Washington coaching staff, and even the Buffalo coaching staff should have more incentive to play Gibson, Swift, and Moss as the year goes on, as these guys are showing that they're above average to potentially special players in the NFL. And I obviously think the same is true with Dobbins, which is interesting to see this year where everybody thought CEH and Jonathan Taylor were the two running back guys. And while CEH is now dealing with Le'Veon and had a 50-50 split in terms of opportunity last week, Taylor's now dealing with Wilkins and Hines, as we mentioned earlier in the show. The other three guys, uh, four guys, are really going to get going and are going to have a huge impact in fantasy leagues as titles are won. And the nice thing about a lot of these guys, dear listeners, is that you can get them for pretty cheap, right? I don't know. If, did you guys see the snap snap counts in uh, in uh, Detroit last week? Oh, it was I know that. Yeah, Swift is getting going. Oh, he's getting going. I mean, he didn't have a great game, but he saw 60% of the snaps for the first time this year. Um, Dobbins, you can require for probably almost nothing, and the Ravens are too smart not to give him more work. He is definitely their best player. I love the Miles Sanders of last year comp for him. Um, even a guy like Cam Akers, uh, if Henderson Henderson's injury is proven to be more severe than, uh, than we know. I haven't seen an update about that. But, you know, Taylor we talked about as a decent buy low. Um, I, I think that people don't realize how special this class is. I'm, I, I got to be with you on this one, Mike, in that, you know, all these guys make good buy lows. And I think especially if you are have a bunch of points scored and you're in a position to make the playoffs, like you can get these guys for next to nothing. And by the time that rolls around, I mean, we see. I mean, we've proven this week to week, the landscape changes so quickly in that it can be any week where Dobbins gets his 15 carries for 120 yards and two touchdowns. And then where do you see him rank next week? Obviously, probably in the top 10, you know, so um, it is not too late at all to go and get these guys for very, very, very little capital. And hold on, guys, we may be. We may be missing the best potential buy low here, and it is Cam Akers. If he is somehow available on your waiver, someone gave up on him after only seeing a few snaps the past couple weeks before this week, go ahead and get him. If you look at his yards created per touch, it's right up there with J.K. Dobbins. You look at his juke rate, it's right up there with J.K. Dobbins. And mind you, J.K. Dobbins is near at the top of the league in this, these metrics. So um, Cam Akers as a running back has been able to create for himself. He's looked good as an independent running back. We're just waiting on opportunity for him. And with Daryl Henderson going down, um, it gave Akers an opportunity. We don't know what's going to happen with Henderson this week 
or potentially in the future. They're coming off a bye week. That also is another opportunity for Akers now to be involved more in the workload coming out after the bye. I do think that he's somebody, if available, you have to, have to, have to stash in your team. Wait to see this opportunity there because he's looked great. And all we're waiting for him now is opportunity to potentially see a breakout. I'm 100% with Dalton on that one. If you can get Cam Akers, the Rams have all the incentive in the world to get him going. And Daryl Henderson, we don't know how banged up he is. It sounds like a thigh injury, so I'm not sure that it will keep him out after the bye week. But Akers needs to get on the field. And I don't know if it's going to be a result of Daryl Henderson playing less or Malcolm Brown playing less or both, but the guy showed this past week and has really showed whenever he's gotten the opportunity that He's a guy that deserves more playing time. And I think after the bye week is exactly when McVay will make that adjustment. Yeah, I really, really hope to see that as well. You know, we could see God, the Rams offense of late last year was, you know, and it could, I thought it could be an exciting preview. They looked really bad against Miami. So I really hope they get someone like Akers involved to help them in a really, really tough battle in the NFC West, which looks like the best division in football. Um, that is all we got for you this week on the Apex Fanny's Football Podcast. Um, keep the faith. Uh, keep setting those lineups. Keep churning the waiver wire. Right there, are, there's so much yet uh, to uh, that we don't know. So much more football to be played. So enjoy the ride. Let's keep it up with uh, no COVID cancellations or anything like that. And thank you very much for listening. <laughs>